such a delight to stand before you this morning and uh, see visitors with us. We appreciate your being here. And we hope that this morning our study together will be encouraging, edifying, and uplifting. If I had but one book of the Bible that I could use to try to teach people, it would be the book of Acts. The book of Acts has so many integral parts to it that are helpful and provide direction for us. It's a marvelous book because it reveals to us the glorious nature of the Lord's church. We begin with the establishment of the church in Acts chapter 2. We see the growth of that wonderful body of the church as we continue to read through it. We notice that there are some distinctive characteristics to the disciples. They are dedicated. They are loyal. They worship in a fashion that God has directed. They've been obedient to a gospel plan of salvation that has given them what they must do in order to be saved. Throughout this wonderful book, Jesus Christ is prominent in his church. As Paul would write to the Colossians and to the Ephesians about Jesus Christ, that he is the head of the body, the church. We see not only is he the head of it, but it is all about him and in his name. I want you to turn with me, if you will, this morning to Acts chapter 4. We're going to study the first part of this wonderful chapter. We're going to notice a few details as we prepare to study chapter 4. Now, as they spoke to the people, the priest, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. I want you to observe with me just a moment before we go further the events that had happened in chapter 3. There was a lame man who was laid at the gate called Beautiful in the temple. Peter and John entering there at the hour of prayer about 3 o'clock in the afternoon healed that man and gave him the ability to walk. As you read the rest of Acts chapter 3, you see everything focusing upon the fact that that it was their ability through Jesus to heal that man. Peter from that began to preach a sermon that called upon the people to repent. There had to be a change in your life. When you get to chapter 4, you realize though that not everyone appreciates that message. In fact, if you look at detail here, you will see the emphasis upon the Sadducees. They denied the resurrection of the dead. They didn't believe Jesus came out of that tomb. And yet we have men who were witnesses of that. You had all the apostles who had seen Jesus after he had risen from the dead. So what they do, they put him in custody. They incarcerate them. Who is they? Well, if we're going to read on further in verses 5 through 6, you'll realize that this involves Annas, 
Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the rest of the chief priest family. If you go all the way down to verse 15, you will find out that he's referring here to the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. They've arrested these men because they're preaching Jesus and the resurrection of the dead. The name of Christ, however, was of utmost importance. I want to refer you back to that passage that Brother Aaron read to us just a few moments ago. I want to back up to verse 7, and I want you to notice the details. And when they had set them in their midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if, this were, if we this day were judged for a good deed done to this helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, now notice he draws attention to Jesus' name, he makes it clear that it's Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. He indicts them for the sin that they have committed in crucifying him, and then he reminds them that Jesus rose from the dead. He explains in verse 11, this is the stone that was rejected by the builders. Old prophecy talks about this. This Jesus you have rejected, God has made him the chief cornerstone. Now listen carefully to verse 12. Nor is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There are three things that I think we need to observe from this message. Number one is going to be the name and sovereignty. What does it mean to say that this is sovereign or there's power, there's authority in it? Number two, I want to look at the name and its significance. What does it mean to say at the name of Jesus? And number three, the name and salvation. Let's begin, first of all, with sovereignty. It's not a name that you and I, or a term we use frequently. At least I don't. We do hear it in the news often to say that this is a sovereign nation. What we mean by that is they are capable of making their own decisions and they're able to operate within their own authority. They can make their own laws. That's the idea of sovereignty. There's a sense in which you and I possess our own sovereignty, the sense that we're able to make our own decisions. We have that power, we have that authority. What I'd like to do is give you a couple examples that I think might be helpful to understand this term and how this is uh, related to the name. For instance, the government can command a person to obey and open in the name of the law. If a policeman comes to your home and knocks on your door, rings your doorbell and says, I have a warrant here to be able to search your home. Our government has that authority, has that power based upon the law. And it's in the name of the law of our country that a person 
can compel, demand, command obedience. Let me give you one on a personal basis. Let's say, for instance, I owe you some money. And you say, Tony, you owe me $100 and I want you to pay me. And I say, okay, let me get my checkbook out. And I write it out and I write your name in it. And then I make it out for $100 and then I sign my name to that. What I have done is I have authorized the bank because I have sovereignty, I have control over my money to say, release to this person whose name is on this check this amount of money. That's the idea of sovereignty. It's authority. It's power. And they ask the question, by what power, by what authority, and in what name have you done this? You see, if you read the Bible, you'll find out there's numerous places where that idea is found. We could go from Genesis to Revelation and spend an hour at least looking at all those passages. We're not going to do that. So I want to give you a few brief examples Genesis chapter 11 and verse 4. You remember the people after the flood are ready to build a tower, the Tower of Babel? But if you read carefully what Moses records, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens. Now listen to the part we often skip. Let us make a name for ourselves lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. You see, they wanted to make a name. We want to have our own authority. We want to have our own sovereignty. And God said, no. I want you to scatter. And so he confused their languages. But that idea, let's make a name for ourselves. Deuteronomy 18, there's a real interesting discussion about a man who might say he's speaking for God. And it shall be that whoever will hear, not hear my words, which he speaks in my name, I will require it of him. But the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or who speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. Notice verse 20. The prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name, let me illustrate that with the check that I used earlier. Let's say, for instance, one of you walk in my office and say, hey, there's Tony's checkbook. And you decide, I'm going to make myself a check out there and I'm going to write it out for this amount of money. And then you forge my name to it and then you carry it to the bank. You've committed fraud. You have said that I authorized something when I didn't authorize it. What God is saying here through Moses in the book of Deuteronomy is, if I didn't send that prophet and he says I'm here from God and God didn't send him, he's a fraud. Because he doesn't have the name of God behind him. You see, we have a lot of problem with that in the world today. There's a lot of people will tell you, God says this, God says that. Okay, give me the book, give me the chapter, give me the verse where God says that. Because I want to know that's what God says. Well, the rulers here challenge them to provide the authority by which they heal this man. We want you to provide this for us. Well, that's going to lead us into our next discussion. 
And that is the name and its significance. The real significance is whose name is being used. For instance, if I were to say to some of you, you need to go to the White House and tell them that Tony Lawrence sent you. You know what happens when you get to the gate? I don't know who he is. His name means nothing to us. You have to understand that when you start speaking about someone's name, you've got to use the correct name. And when I go to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, there's a real problem in the church at Corinth because now this I say, each one of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Gaius, or Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I have baptized in my own name. You see, here's the, what the problem is. There's got to be some significance behind the name. As important as Paul was, Paul was not crucified for me. As important as Peter was, Peter is not the head of the Lord's church. As important as Apollos was, and as eloquent as he was, no, Apollos is not the one we're going to follow. It's not in his name. The apostles preached Jesus as the one and the only one with authority. Matthew, when he records his gospel account, in Matthew 28 verse 18 says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. All authority. Nobody else has the ability to overrule him because he possesses it all. Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Therefore God has also highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name. That the name of Jesus every knee should bow, every tongue should confess uh, to those on earth and those under the earth. Colossians 3.17, And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. You see, it's all about Jesus and about His name. But you see, the name of Jesus is special. It's unique because it reflects who He is. When the writer of the book of Hebrews is trying to get them to see the difference between Jesus and the angels and Moses and uh, Aaron's high priest. He says, I want you to look at them. He said, having become so much better than the angels, as he has an inheritance, obtain a more excellent name than they. You see, if you start looking at the angels, where are angels in relation to man? Angels are higher than man. Well, who is greater than the angels? Jesus is the highest. He has a more excellent name than do they. The prophet Isaiah, looking forward to the coming of Jesus. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder. And his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, 
Prince of Peace. Oh, Jesus is that great one. When Mary and Joseph were told that she would have a child, the name of Jesus was spoken. It says, and she will bring forth a son and you will call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. Jesus means Savior. Christ means the Anointed One. That's who He is. But now let's talk about salvation. Let's talk about this third very important aspect that gets brought up in verse 12. And that it is only in the name of Jesus that one can be saved. Because Peter's emphasis has been different than theirs. Their emphasis has been on We don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Peter said, we know he rose from the dead. We saw him. But Peter has been preaching about salvation. You go back to Acts chapter 2 and they ask, men and brethren, what must we do? Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. You've got to get rid of those sins. Verse 40, and with many other words he testified and exhorted them saying, be saved from this perverse generation. When he preached to them in Acts 3, he said to them, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Acts 3 verse 19. Nor is there salvation in any other You can't go to another person and get salvation. You can't go to Buddha. You can't go to Muhammad. You can't go to Ellen G. White. You can't go to uh, Charles Taze Russell. You can't go to any of these other people and find salvation. No, it's in Jesus Christ and in Him alone. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Folks, that's very exclusive. If you're going to enjoy salvation, it's only going to be because you follow Jesus Christ. We must follow Jesus or there's no salvation. Listen to the exclusivity that he expresses in John 14 and verse 6. He said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You're not going to just slide into heaven. You're not going to happen just to wake up there and that's where you ended up. It will be because you made a conscious decision that you want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you want to be a Christian. John 1 verse 12, But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And listen to John in 1 John 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. There's no other way to express it than to say, either you are in Christ or you are not in Christ. Now, once you are in Christ... You take his name. You are a Christ in Christian. Listen to Isaiah 56 in verse 5. Isaiah is looking forward to the coming of this suffering servant who will be the deliverer, the savior. 
And God says, even to them, I will give in my house and within my walls a place and a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will not be cut off. You know what kind of name sons and daughters get? You have a family name. It may be Flat. It may be Hurst. That's a name that you pass on to your children. And they in turn to their children. But God is going to give a name that will supersede all those names. And it will be the name that all of those people, it will be a better name. It gets to chapter 62 and verse 2 and says, The Gentiles will see your righteousness and the kings your glory. You shall be called by a new name which the mouth of the Lord will name. The name Christian is not one that we invented. It's not something that we ourselves just say, hey, I think that's a pretty good way to refer to ourselves. Someone says, what are you? I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Because God has outlined what it takes to be one of those. In Acts 11 and verse 26, Luke records, And when he had found him, that is, Barnabas had found Paul, he brought him to Antioch, so that it was for a whole year that they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. There's that name which God has given. That's what they're known by. In 1 Peter 4, verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in this matter or in this name. And then in Acts chapter 24, verse 25, I don't have it on the screen, but you know it. When Paul appears before Agrippa, he says, that Agrippa responds by saying, Almost you persuade me to become a Christian. There's the example of those people who have been improperly baptized in Acts 19. Here's some people who evidently want to do what God wants them to do. They've heard the message of John the Baptist and they have been baptized in John's name. And we learn in Acts chapter 19 verse 5 when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. They understood, they recognized that It's by His name and in His name. So when you talk about the name and salvation, it is the name of Christ that is so important. The only conclusion that you can draw from this text is that it's all about Jesus and about His name. When you read Acts chapter 4 and you step back and you say, okay, what do I learn from this? What you learn, it's all about Jesus and all about His name. And we're going to sing an invitation song here. The purpose of this song is to encourage you, if you're not a Christian, to come and be baptized for the remission of your sins, not because you are somehow joining the church. You don't really join the church. Acts chapter 2, verse 47, praising God and having favor with all the people, the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. What you do is God sets forth these conditions. He says, I want you to repent and be baptized, Acts chapter 2, verse 38. And then He will add you to His body, the church. You are now among the saved, and you now wear His name.
If you've not done that, we want to encourage you to do that. But now let me tell you what else happens too. There's a reality of the fact that many times we embarrass the Lord because we wear His name and we don't do so very well. If that's our case, then we need to ask God to forgive us. We need as Christians to say, God, please forgive me of what I've done, what I've said. Acts chapter 8, after Simon was rebuked, Simon asked Peter and them to pray for him. And that's what you and I need to do if we have sins laid to our charge. We're going to sing the song while Jesus whispers to you. If you need to respond, would you come as together we stand and sing?